correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. And we're going to talk some really cool RPGs. But before we get to that, we have our podcast for the week, which actually segues into our guest, one of the two. We want to welcome Josh Heath onto the podcast again. Hi there. I am Josh Heath. I am here. Uh, I'm just going to jump into it. Hopefully I'm not stepping on the Steves. I'm so sorry. And I'm going to pitch Opcast, the uh, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum podcast. Uh, We are a podcast that covers games such as Trinity Continuum Core, Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more. And if you're interested in anything that's sci-fi, you can pretty much do it in the Trinity Continuum. It is one of the best games that Onyx Path produces in the newest Story Path edition and taking on the awesome legacy that White Wolf produced for those games. So if any of that's interesting, Aegis is coming out soon where you'll be able to play sci-fi alien hunters in meets Troy slash meets the Iliad meets things like that. So lots of awesome things that Aegis is going to let you be able to do. So... This week, we're actually going to be talking about a project you have that, as we speak, is currently on Kickstarter, but will still be... What's it wrap up? We've got about 20 days left. Uh, 22 days, according to this. May 25th. Okay. And this will drop in a week, so you'll have about two weeks at the time this airs to, to get in on this. But this is a really cool game called Army Men, and you have brought the, I guess, head designer for the game as well, Neil, with you today? Hello. Yeah, for uh, for folks who are not familiar with me or don't know me by names, I'm I'm one of many Neils. But uh, uh, my name is Neil Litherland. I'm an RPG writer, author, and this is the first time I've actually uh, put together a full game instead of just doing you know, supplements for other people's stuff. Cool, cool. So it's called Army Men, and Josh was kind enough to share the manuscript with us mm-hmm. to kind of glance over. And I've told both of you when we were talking previously, but what this feels like to me is. One of you was walking down the aisle at their local Dollar General or Dollar Tree down the toy aisle and had a flashback to being, you know, somewhere in the eight to 10 range and all the stories you used to make up with all the wonderful little plastic army men and et cetera that you can find there and went, what if I combine this with an RPG? You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) As far as origin stories go, it's, it's, it's pretty on the nose for how things happened, actually. (laughs) For, for folks who are curious about the, the origin story of this game, uh, several years ago, I, was, uh, I had a friend of mine who was putting together an RPG company, like lots of folks were doing around the time of the pandemic. And you know, he kind of tagged me to create content for his website, and then he decided, okay, we need to release a game, we need to be an actual game company. And he was kind of trying to figure out what he wanted to do for content, what would get people interested. And he decided he wanted to do something for the wargaming crowd. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm down for that. That sounds interesting. But he wanted to do it with the fate system, which was, yeah, had me putting up red flags. I'm like, you want to go to the community most known for complicated rules and, and tactical displays and take all of that away from them? And so you know, he and I went, went back and forth as to you know, what would be a good system to do for that. And while 
we were finishing up that discussion. I was going off around the rest of my day and I was I was it was a productive discussion, but it was a tiring one. I was just getting ready to take a shower and I said, man, if we could just get like a bag of army men, throw them down on a on a map. And hey, wait a minute, there might be something behind this idea. I got to write this down. (laughs) (laughs) And it just kind of mutated from there of I just was we've been talking about so many serious ideas and so many like grim and gritty things like you see in like Axis and Allies, Warhammer 40K, all of that. And I was like, what if we had something that was so patently ridiculous that you couldn't take it seriously? but it demanded you take it seriously anyway, just to make it even funnier. And so it just kind of spiraled out from there. Well, but I mean, that's, this is where I'm reminded my wife, my wife is not a gamer at all, but she's very supportive of the fact that I am a a bit of a gaming addict, but she will (laughs) routinely look at me when I, uh, I want to go buy this book, buy that one. And she'll look at me and she'll go, Steve, why do you need more books to play pretend? You know, just as kind of a joke. And in a way, she's right. But, like, this really does feel like just some structure to play the pretend that we all used to in a lot of ways. Absolutely. It is the, um, yes, because lots of folks have have talked about this as the ongoing debate of rules versus imagination. And it it is always my goal to give people as many options as they can when they look at stuff that I've made. But to also have like the asterisks and the caveats to prevent someone from going is like, no, I have an everything proof shield. I win because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that fine balance of making sure everything's fair for everybody, but also leaving enough room for everyone to be as creative as they want to be. Mm-hmm. So just by way of you want to give kind of an overall pitch before we start diving into some of the, the neat stuff other than totally. that it's, so, you know, wild creation. Sure. So the the general pitch for army men, aside from the obvious of your, you know, it's like living plastic soldiers in a living plastic world fighting for the the survival of your nation and your your fellow, you know, resinous persons, because I love that term and I'm going to keep using it. But the the setup for the game is, you know, you know, around 50 years ago, there was a great conflict, a great war amongst, you know, what is now the um, the Plastos Federation. And then, you know, the Vespoids arrived, these colossal insectile creatures that were just an existential threat to everyone. And so we all sort of put our war aside for the time being and decided, you know, you know we need to fight that because if we don't, whatever issue we have isn't going to matter. And that's kind of been the the driving force behind a lot of the setting, behind the missions folks are getting, behind you know recruitment drives, because you you can just look out there and see the existential threat that is a a thing you need to protect your yourself and your neighbors from. And it was kind of taking that general setup and asking, okay, how do we now give people the tools to make characters that they can get just as invested in? So it feels kind of like reading the old pulp stories of, you know, the the World War II heroes, you know, squads going out and doing all their crazy pulp adventures. I was going to say, I did get that very kind of pulpy vibe from it, along with some of those, you know, 80s, 90s, kind of cheesy sci-fi, you know, military action movies. Yeah. Well, not to cut you off, but speaking of 90s cheesy sci-fi action movies, I immediately read this and my brain went, you know, this would be a really good game to run the in-world story of Toy Soldiers. Are you familiar with the 90s movie Toy Soldiers? Yes, with the the bad guys who are actually the good guys Correct. and the soldiers who are the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's oh. uh, Tommy Lee. Mo- uh, Small soldiers. That was, Small that was soldiers. Small that's soldiers. it. Not toy soldiers. Toy soldiers is a very different movie. Uh, <laughs> Small soldiers. Yes. I read this and I was like, this would be great to run that in. 
which is a movie that I like and nobody else seems to like. <laughs> it was a good I movie. Remember I remember that loved movie. It. Yeah, because yeah. I quoted that film entirely too many times while I was putting this together. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad that I wasn't the only one that was like, I'm picking up on this. Now I'm going to have to go look that up. I don't know if I've ever it's seen fun. that. It's fun. It's very fun and kind of silly in that way where it's like, this is a very silly thing. Now let's make it just a little scary. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like a kid's horror movie, like along the lines of like Gremlins. Yeah, because it, it has that whole Barbie scene, which is <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <laughs> sorry not to derail the entire conversation, but that's what came to my mind. Absolutely, I forgot where I was. <laughs> uh, There's something about yeah, just the the greater threat and everyone putting it aside, and you know, being able to go the pulpy story route, but still have a little bit of grit kind of underneath it. I think yeah, to catapult off of that of it was it was a thing i wanted to do and there's a section about it in the in the game master chapter and it was essentially that you know the the meta and lots of the world is presented in like a very specific light of it's like you know this is your history of the world and it's got like a very world war ii without being world war ii it's taking the sort of the era that the toys are meant to pattern and creating its own in-world setting and explanation for it but I also call that explicitly of like, you can use the same rules, the same setting. If you want to do, you know, a silly game, if you want to do a high fantasy game, if you want to do like a gritty body horror game with people being stolen by giant insects and going down into holes where they're being you know wrapped up in webs and whatnot. If you want to do some kind of sci-fi experimentation with pod people, if you want to do, you know, and if you want to do just like horrors of war stories of like, you know, people who have been, you know, going out to be, to be heroes and then realizing, you know, that they don't tell you everything in the, in the recruitment videos about what you're going to see out there and whether or not you can deal with that by the time you get back. So it's, it's up to a lot of what the players want to do with it. And my hope is that people like it enough that I can kind of provide additional support for, more genres and more styles, you know, maybe do some, some Westerns, do some A-team style mercenary stuff, you know, maybe do some actual like nod to alien just get the colonial Marines out there, all sorts of nonsense. No, I like that. I, you know, and, and I just kind of like though, that going through the manuscript, you know, you, you've got obviously the big bugs and dinosaurs, because those are the three things you can always find in those toy aisles or plastic without fail. You can find them and they're cheap. (laughs) Right. And, and there's something like, don't get me wrong. I, I don't paint yet anyway, but you know, there is something just amazingly beautiful about a well-painted miniature and the time and effort and skill that goes into it. But to me, there's also something just inherently fun about taking cheap crap and having an amazing amount of fun with it. You know, yeah. It was, it was the, you know, if nothing else, this is a game where if you bring your minis to the table unpainted, that's, that's just the way things look in world. It was perfect. <laughs> right. And, and like, yeah, it just, I don't know that it's, it's like so simple of a concept that I think it's one of those ones that probably just got passed by the wayside so many times because, oh no, that's too simple. No one will ever want to do it, but that's what makes me want to do it. It's because it is, it's yeah. so simple. Is I had I had some folks I've I've been trying to badger a couple of the communities that I hang out with as I am I am a fan of the 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 stories and the lore of War 40k even if I don't do the the tabletop gaming myself I do I do the RPGs but it's a side conversation for a day but I've been trying to find Imperial Guard fans just to pitch them the whole thing of like you know the book is the most expensive part of this entire game. <laughs> 
you know, if if you can toss down fifteen bucks for a PDF or forty dollars for the actual full printed version, you can run entire armies of minis for five bucks, and that's all your soldiers, all their allies, all their enemies. You probably already have the terrain, knowing some of the players. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you could even run some sort of. And wasn't there was it was there like a a plastic army men movie like Toy Story, or am I thinking there was a video game? There is a video game. I found this out because lots of people have been asking, is this connected to the video game series? And I'm wondering what they're talking about because I never owned a 3DO and I never played them. But apparently there was a Army Men style video game series that a lot of people seem to remember. And they're either very concerned about copyright issues or they're like kind of disappointed that I'm not a representative of that company. Yeah, but you know, for for clarity, you could play it that way if you decided to. The rules are all there. You just take the measurements of people. Of like, no, you're not six feet tall. You're six inches tall. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know, you could do. You're talking about train, but you could could actually do it as. I don't see why you couldn't do it as a, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Toy Story level story, and literally just use whatever you have laying around the house Absolutely as train. Could. Although now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it at this point, if we get to the point where we can bring in weird sci-fi nonsense, I'm going to write an entire module where your squad gets shrunk and has to escape the lab. <laughs> so you're just fighting like giant lab rats that are that are dealing with weird stuff and like the spider that was hiding in in the duct and all all of that. You have to get yourselves back to normal size by the end of the mission. I'm doing this now. This is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your introductory mission. Uh... I don't know if you have that written yet. I do, I do. We have an info mod, which is um, oh, there was there's a location. I it was, it was Fort Foxtrot. That was that was the uh, the location. I I love that name and it makes me laugh. But uh, I might have to use that as like a launching setting just to go to other weird nonsense. Now there you go, there you go. But it's weird nonsense that fits. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is. It is one of the things of. Um, uh, I, I enjoy it when, when people will, will sarcastically ask, oh, so you're going to X, Y, Z, whatever ridiculous thing they think is like, oh, of course you wouldn't do that. I'm like, no, that's canon. You can do that. And they're like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you want to be like a, di- you want to be a dino riding machine gunner? We got rules for that. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you want to strap a, like a, like a laser headpiece onto a T-Rex and go nuts? We will eventually have rules for that. <laughs> Cause I remember the dino riders when I was very young and they were some of the dumbest like minis I ever had. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, I I'll dig it. I I was reading over it a little bit and um I think you guys have a really solid system too. Like as far as mechanics go. I think it's a really uh and, and don't take this the wrong way. It's very simple, but it's very straightforward and I like that. Yes, I I think that is that is probably a very good description of yeah you know, for for vol- for folks uh you know, listening who have not looked at the Kickstarter or not seen any of the stuff about it. Of uh, it uses a the parts of you know, D&D's fifth edition that went into Creative Commons with a lot of additions, you know, you know, made for additional tactical rules that D&D didn't really have. And that was that was actually one of the the big selling parts that got me interested, because when I, I first pitched the idea way back in the day to that other client, I had played Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. It was fine. You know, I didn't you know, I didn't you know drool over it, but it was it was it was a nice game with some of my friends. But it was one of my main complaints of it lacked so many of the little moving pieces that games like Pathfinder had. And I wanted to put some of that in there 
so that if you wanted to be a very strategic, very tactical player, you could, you know, use all of these benefits and move to cover here and combine like these exploits to do this cool thing. But if you just wanted to like, you know, like scream who wants some and run in with your 50 caliber blaring, you can do that too. And they're both equally valid approaches to the situation. And that's, I think that's really important when you're making a tactics or when you're making a um, combat forward game, right? Because <laughs> your yeah. your game is 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 narratively narratively strong, but it's combat forward, right? That's, Absolutely, it's it's army men. I think that's important to be able to give the ability to be both sides of like to be the tactician and also the person that just wants to go ham can just go ham without having to be too much of a tactician. And I think that's Absolutely. where that's a that's a good balance to hit. A lot of games miss that mark where it's like, well, you can either do this or you can do that, but we're not going to do both. <laughs> yes, it was it was actually one of the things that I thought about. It's, it's been a very common complaint, especially as lots of games have been going more the rules light route or, you know, like narrative uh, heavy or the narrative front loaded, at least. And there's there's a lot of folks who've complained games like D&D, like Pathfinder, like all the, the various systems that split off of them are very combat focused because, you know, the games they're drawing on are very combat focused. And it was one of those of, while I acknowledge that I kind of want to play someone who runs in with a great sword and kicks in the monster's teeth. Right. And so it was, it was mostly trying to mesh that with a concept that I'm like, it's like, no, this is a very combat is kind of a foregone conclusion in a lot of stuff of like, you are, you are here to, to deal with a violent situation. And particularly with, you know, the Vespoids of this is an enemy you can't, use diplomacy on you might not be able to frighten them some of them probably don't have a fear response so as, as much as you might not want to fight you know there's there's just situations where you're you're gonna have to and that's that's kind of acknowledged going in yeah well and i think too using the 5e derived mechanics this feels to me like a game that's aimed in a way at taking someone who's got some gaming experience but wants to do something different and maybe bring some new friends in that maybe have gamed a little bit. And so it feels like the 5e choice, well, like you mentioned, for those of us who've, who've gamed a lot, it's it's a rule system that you're just kind of like, well, it's there, it does things. And I guess, you know, one of my criticisms of it for a long time, you know, they claim to have the three pillars of exploration, social, and combat. And you've got a freeway overpass pillar, maybe a steel beam, and a two by four kind of wedged in there is the way it, it actually works. But for what it feels like you're aiming at here, that actually does it. Absolutely. It is a two to get on that though. There's a, there's a thing I mentioned in a couple of blog posts I've written about it and a couple of other interviews where I've talked to people. It is a thing I would like to do if we get, you know, if lots of folks pick it up and they're like, you know, it's like, this is silly fun. We would like more, please. Of I'd kind of like to do is one of my inspirations that I took for designing things mechanically was the game Spycraft, which I don't think gets enough love. Mm. And it was it was just one of those things that I wanted to have that opportunity that folks could do stealth missions, whether that's, you know, we all put on like black face paint and we like sneak under the barbed wire and we steal documents from from the enemy or if it's. You know, a more James Bond style game where we take on, you know, false personas and we go to this this underworld, you know, event that's happening and we pretend we're all members of a cartel to try and figure out, you know, some way to undermine the the enemy intelligence network. 
And you're like, that's a little more complicated narratively, and it's it's probably one of the big failings of Spycraft as a system of if you don't have a DM who's very familiar with lots of the like the tropes of spy fiction, the mystery can very quickly spiral out of control and get away from you. But I'm hoping that with a system that's a little simpler, it would be easier to kind of direct folks through it in a way where you could do either that very 1960s gadget heavy kind of game, or if you wanted to do more of like, you know, the uh, the more modern era bond where everything is is very serious and we make hard decisions and, and we do all of that. Sorry, yes, that's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, that's not my James Bond. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we're still made of green plastic, so it is kind of ridiculous. But it yeah. Yeah, just it just adds to the the whole thing for it. But you know, it's it's like I, like I said earlier, there's so many different genres you can mess with this with if you wanted to. A big fan of that like Moonraker era of James Bond, where it's let's go bizarre. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. Go for yeah. it. Go, Make it that happen. Sounds great. <laughs> Sharks do with that. Dreams, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Because those are the toys you find on sale. <laughs> right, right. I was just thinking about this. You saying about the um, Bucket Army Man. We were just mm-hmm. visiting some friends of ours, and and you saying about the dinosaurs, and they absolutely had a discount, like Walmart on clearance. You know, box of dinosaur toys. Mm-hmm. Every time. Oh, Every time. I have a nephew that's three years old, and he's into oh, dinosaurs. Yeah. So my wife is forever bringing home bags of dinosaurs from you know, the dollar store or wherever. That'd be and great. It, it's just, yeah. This is a and great game to play I... if you have kids, but not with your kids. Well, maybe with your kids, depending on your age or your kids. Yep. <laughs> well, there was a podcast I listened to a few episodes of a while ago that was, um, it was actually, this guy was running, they, they were actually playing Pathfinder, but he was running it for his middle school daughter and several of her friends. And listening to the way they played was so neat and so refreshing because like the one thing that sticks in my head, there was something, you know, the, the, the bad guy was in a swamp or something and like, well, I don't want to go up next to him. I'll get my boots dirty. And it was just so That's neat great. to hear them playing with such kind of, I, I don't know what the right word is, but like where they were just playing as people and not at all thinking about the, because we all do it, right? We're in a game. We're thinking, well, it's a fight. We need to win. So what's the thing I can do that will give us the best chance of winning, or at least something that will be cool and help us win as opposed to, man, I don't want to get my boots dirty. Why would I go over there? <laughs> well, what I, gets I, us the bonus? <laughs> yeah. Not to derail this uh, again, but I had a uh, new player join my weekly D and D game. My uh, job required D and D game. Anyways, <laughs> him, 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 him. <laughs> it, he he was 15 and they had this entire combat where they entered a town that was a fishing town at one point. And it was like, OK, well, the, the town's cursed. There's monsters in the water. You know, we're no longer a fishing town. We don't know what we're going to be with ourselves. Right. Like, it's a pretty standard D&D thing. And the guy was like, OK, well, they're going to go fight those monsters and like fish them out of the lake. I'm going to sit here and carve a uh, set of cup and bowls for everybody out of wood. <laughs> that's great that's fantastic i'm glad you're enjoying yourself not being part of this combat <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say that helps no one but good on you <laughs> yeah it it was a very like like steve was saying i don't want to get my boots dirty it was very like well i'm gonna make us some cups and bowls so we have something to eat out of later <laughs> it's like huh that's a way to think Long about that term thinking <laughs> yep. yeah but yeah and and then you know to, like you were talking about, you know, they, they come in different colors. And I, I really liked, 
going through the manuscript, how you guys played off of that with using the different colors for the stat adjustments and so forth. Like almost as that's your heritage or race or whatever they species, however, you know, there's so many Which, terms used. Term we're using these days. Yes. It was actually, that was one of the things, it was my first big hurdle that, that I tried to, to get over is when I was, when I had this idea first, I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? And I started reading about the history of the toys and when they'd come out and which you know, models they were and which wars they were originally for and all of all those little nitpicky details. And it was, it was a thing I kind of tongue in cheek did because none of the, none of the nations in the Federation are like explicitly a one-to-one comparison of like, this represents this country or this ethnicity or this whatever. But the, the different formations of the nations are kind of a hat tip to all of the, the various countries that had their armies involved in, in the settings. So like, you know, it was like green was color coded as America. Gray was color coded as Nazi Germany. Red was color coded as Russia. And so it was it was one of those of assigning them the the various different heritages essentially based on based on nationality kind of worked but it was also a thing I wanted to make very clear in in the text of your color doesn't mean what country you're from this is just the particular resin that you are formed from and it's it's one of those of if you look at someone who is a green they're a lot tougher they're a lot stronger but they're also a lot blockier because they were the first ones released and thus they didn't have like clean die cutting so they're they're kind of brutish but they can also live for like 300 years if nothing kills them because it's really tough plastic Whereas, you know, if you get one of the grays of, you know, they have a cleaner, you know, die cut because you had to make it very clear, like, these are the bad guys. You had to be able to see all of their their little details. And so they, they get that charisma bump, but they're also a little more fragile. They're not quite as long lasting. And it was it was a fun little tongue in cheek thing to put into all of that. OK, well, that's, I think that's cool. Though. I didn't realize you had gone into studying the history of the actual toys to do some of this. That's kind of a neat little nugget. I think the the other thing that I saw as a, the publisher for it is I was like, man, this is a great metaphor for people to have conversations about. I'm green, you're gray. Why? What does that mean for us? Right? Does it, we're we're on we're in the same nation. We're fighting the same war. We're fighting side by side together against these Vespoids. Are we different? Why are we different? What does that mean? Right? It just if you want to go there. You can go real deep in depth with that. You don't have to. You can play it totally on the surface. Fun plastic army guys where you're like, I'm just going to play this because it's giving me better stat bonuses, etc. But when I saw it, I was like, I'm not going to lean away from the possibilities of those conversations because we could have taken a different route and said, hey, there are no stats based on your physical color, right? And I get that. I understand why lots of games are doing away with racial bonuses and things like that and going to different forms support that but we did it we we leaned into it intentionally here and said there's a conversation you can have a silly plastic army men that is safer to have and if you're talking about real people in any sort of real way right so i just i think that's an awesome opportunity no i think you're right yeah, to, to, to tag onto that there's a, an extra fun thing you could do on that because is we're we're used to playing in fantasy settings where like the timeline goes for thousands upon thousands of years you know tolkien style and all of the history that I explicitly laid out for this game is like maybe 75 years or so total. Like it doesn't really go back before that in the starting book because I figured no one needs to know that right off the bat. I don't want to overwhelm players with world history. 
but it is one of those things of lots of the resins are longer lived than others, and lots of them will have lived through major political changes. Uh, one of the, the big ones is... Uh, was it the Styric Republic is our not the USSR of like they were a monarchy and then they had a revolution and now they're a republic and this all happened like within the living memory of several of the resinous peoples several of whom might like remember living under that monarchy or might might have you know fond memories of childhood of like how things were different and so you, if you really wanted to you could even have like political or like religious conversations with people who maybe like they're younger they're they're idealizing the past and you have someone who was there you know telling them like no it was terrible i don't know what you're reading in this book none of that is how it was well that i think though that's to me that's one of the beauties of rpgs in general is that it can be both silly escapist fun and it can also be a lens with which to look at legit real issues in a way that's a little safer to explore them than having the actual conversation about the actual thing. Absolutely. Exactly. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you've got ideas anyway for that. If this does well and takes off that there are expansions and splat books, if not planned, rattling around the brains of the creatives. There are supplements on supplements that Neil has mentioned to me from the beginning that I'm like, Neil, if we can get people to buy this game, yes. <laughs> it is the, the, the look on Josh's face is making me laugh because it is, it is one of those I fully acknowledge. When I, when I first had this idea and it seemed to really have some legs and I was figuring out all of it, my brain just kind of went genre by genre, style by style of what could we release that would give players new rules to mess with without invalidating any of the old stuff. And then the question of mixing and matching things. So it's the, the one that immediately comes to my mind uh, for weird stuff to mesh, mesh with. Everyone's probably seen like, like the Wild West style, like plastic toys they have. They're kind of built off the same mold and they have like the, the Confederate style stuff. Well, it's Confederate Union, I should say. Mm -hmm. And it was, my thought of like, well, how do we incorporate that? Is it is it a historical piece? I'm like, no, you just need to go further away from the cities where we don't send out, you know, the supply lines. We don't have, you know, communications. So you'll find people who are still nominally part of like the armed forces or w of whatever country they're in, but their post has kind of been forgotten and they don't know that there's been this huge political revolution. So you have the, the sort of thing. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. There was the, the Japanese soldier in World War II who refused to believe the war was over and held the island for like 60 years. Yeah, it came out of the jungle in the Philippines, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so you could, you could have you know, that as a thing, or you could just have you know, options of, it's like, well, like we're further out on the frontier. They don't send us good equipment. They don't send us regular resupply. We're making do with this stuff that we have, and it works. It's not very good, but if you shoot a Vespoid with an actual cannon, it will still get the job done. That's beautiful. I'm sorry. It's just, it's beautiful. So aside from that, it's like the... If I had to pick, like, first big expansion to do, if if several hundred people go and they back this immediately, we have thousands upon thousands of dollars and I can do whatever I want. Uh, the, the book that I'd like to do next, if we're doing full book size stuff, not just like a little splat book with adventures here, or here's some updated rules for vehicles here, you know, the, the one that occurred to me most was uh, Army Men, Soldiers of Fortune. Because it, it strikes me that one of, like, the big hurdles some folks might might have is, like, 
they have that anti-authoritarian streak that a lot of gamers can have where your DM says, please, I would like you to do this. And they go, no. And then they spit Mountain Dew in your face. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what I would like to do with Soldiers of Fortune is kind of expand it to the point where you can be like a squad of mercenaries or you can be military contractors, whether you have experience or like you were rejected from the military for some reason. But now they kind of need someone to you know, act as a cat's paw to deal with these other problems. And yeah, you know, that would that would be kind of a, a fun way to have your cake and eat it too. Or if you mm -hmm. had one of those of you know, you know, like our previous characters, like after this mission, they decided no, we're retiring, we don't want to do this anymore. We could then pick pick up those rules of okay, it's ten years later, and we have that you know one last job kind of kind of set up for it. Yeah, that or or kind of an A team. I know you mentioned them. I think it may yeah. have been before we turned the mics on, but that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's there is there's just so much, so many places you can go with this. And the other thing. The one thing I noticed you did in the manuscript is the way you handled experience slash levels. Absolutely. And I thought it was kind of unique that you just said, okay, no, here's how we're doing it. Every three missions, you get a level. Just cool. boom, <laughs> done. We're not tracking anything because, let's face it, it's a pain in the butt. But what that brought to mind for me and where I think this game would be just absolutely wonderful is for like a game that you run at your local game shop every weekend or every other weekend, whatever, where you might have a couple of regulars. You're probably going to have a couple people that just pop in. Oh, what's this? Hey, again, with it being fifth edition for that crowd, they're familiar enough with the basics of the rules that, okay, we can just jump into it. And with it being, if you want to do it kind of mission-based, you can have, okay, these, these are the characters we're taking on this mission. And as a GM, you can either create or just work your characters, you know, so they're all at the appropriate level. But it feels like to me like it would be a wonderful game to run as kind of a par partial pickup, partial regular crew at, at like a game shop or something. Absolutely. It is it is one thing I try to do with a lot of the particularly the game master side of things, because uh, there's there's all those fiddly little bits that we always have to track and we always have to retool this or that and make sure that everyone has the right amount of XP and everyone has the right amount of, you know gear and that no one is combining weird stuff in the background to create a nuclear weapon when we aren't looking. But it was, you know, as you mentioned what I did with XP, I mean, the three missions and done, which was partially uh, inspired by organized play. I've done like a lot of Pathfinder Society and they had that, like you show up for three games, stamp, stamp your next level. Because we're, we're not tracking your XP, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. But I kind of carried that through into equipment. It's like there, there are certain casts uh, which still makes me laugh that we we use that instead of class names. But uh, there are certain casts that like they have the inherent ability to create certain materials or that act as certain threats. But generally speaking, your gear loadout is going to be a big part of your challenge is determined by the game master. So if you're sitting there and you're just like, I want my players to just have like a rip roaring Rambo style Hollywood shootout, I will give them whatever weapon they ask for, however many however many bullets they want, I don't care, just go nuts. I'm just going to throw waves of giant bugs at you, and we're all just going to have fun. Or alternatively, if you want to make it a lot harder, you could be like, well, you guys, you, know, you get your standard loadout for whatever patrol you're on, because the people assigning you your loadout don't know the hidden information that I know about where these enemies are, so you're going to have to like very carefully track how much you know, how much gear are you willing to commit to a particular fight knowing that there might be something bigger around the next curve and i think that gives you a lot of flexible power without asking your players to really sacrifice a lot and it means that all of you have to do less bookkeeping overall and most importantly i think is 
you don't get involved in that the magic weapon arms race as it occasionally becomes of like yeah i have all this money and i could just retire from adventuring but i need to upgrade my great sword and i'm not sure which benefit i'm going to buy it on and if i get the wrong one i'm going to feel dumb you know in this case it's it was like, you finish your last mission great here's your next one what do you want and then you go down and, and you, you have other questions you can ask. Uh, one of the backgrounds you can take, I believe I named it the Supply Sergeant, but it was essentially my nod to MASH and Radar of it's the, like, I want this thing. Well, we're not getting it for you. Give me a minute. Let me make some calls. And then you know, it gives you kind of that, that caveat of like, no, I can get this thing that we need for this mission. Just don't ask where it came from. <laughs> I love that show. Uh, Good I show. Really but yeah, no, this, I just, you know, I gotta be honest. When I, when I first heard about this, I went, okay, plastic army men, cool. Five E. Eh. And then Josh sent me the manuscript and I'm reading over. I'm like, this is just wonderfully clever. And, and like you said, it, it both takes itself seriously and doesn't, which is a really, I think it's a difficult line to walk, but it feels like you're in the right place to pull it off. Thank you. And I think that's, a great place for a game because it allows, because I don't know about everybody else, but most of my game tables either go pretty dark and serious or pretty silly and goofy. Yep. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know if you know, if you guys remember, there was a web comic while back, it was called DM of the rings. Mm-hmm. And it was this guy who went through and captioned, all these screenshots and stuff from the Lord of the Rings movies as if it was an RPG campaign. Oh no. And you know, like Aragorn is forever trying to get rid of this damn broken sword and get something that's, you know, and just, but like taking the stuff we've all had happen at the RPG table and applying it to the situations that happened in the movie. And it feels like this game can do both of those things. It can be, Lord of the Rings and it can be Monty Python and neither of them feels like you're abusing it. Yes. It, it reminded me of the, um, I don't remember which comic first did it, but it was, it was the joke someone had of when the entire party brings very serious, very grim, dark characters within five sessions, it turns into Monty Python. And if we all bring like, like a clown and a strong man and a drunk from the circus, like 10 sessions later, like someone's like dying in someone else's arms and somebody else is crying and we're all just trying to figure out like how we're, how we're going to ever move on after this. It was, it was, we just came here to be silly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing too, and this is the thing, one of the things that when I saw the background text that I was really happy with, sometimes settings over tell you what the setting is about, right? They spend 300 pages telling you everything you need to know about everything that's ever happened in this place. And it, it doesn't have enough white space for a storyteller to, uh, to craft. Uh, okay. I want you to go to this new place. Crap. There's already a map and everybody knows what villages are between, you know, Barovia and, um, you know, uh, the necropolis where Aslan Rex is, right? Everybody knows everything that's between those two places. In army men, there's enough white space that if you want to make a whole new nation, you've got the space to do that. If you want to create, if you grab a plastic dinosaur and you're like, this is going to be my big enemy, you can throw that plastic dinosaur in and it feels right to the world. Mm-hmm. None of it is, it's not restrictive in its setting information. It's just enough 
that even I think when we're when we're adding things in the future, it's going to be just make sure we keep that white space so people can craft stories and craft places and locations and ideas from it. Absolutely. Yeah, it is it is a thing of lots of the stuff that I'm I'm hoping to add going forward also, uh, because I too have weird spicy chemicals in my brain, so I feel I, I must let people know about one of the, the other things I was hoping to do. Is um there is a nominal meta narrative. As as I mentioned, we have like the, the fifty years between the appearance of the Vespoids and where we are now, and what that has done politically, sociologically, all of that. But it's my hope if we can get, you know, regular missions out, if we can kind of let players explore and move through the story as it goes on to sort of explain like where these giant bugs came from. And then we move on to like the next major enemy threat that is the reason you've been dealing with those. And then we kind of uncover that with all of the weird sci-fi super science that they brought with them, because the other thing you always find in the discount aisle is it's like the, the little aliens with their, their tiny little ray guns, or you find like weird little sci-fi monsters that make no sense. Oh, you yeah, or... are a 40 K player. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to call you out like that, but man, that's that's the that is the basics of 40k in a nutshell. Just keep adding weird nonsense and and yeah. explaining that it was there the whole time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Where did these undead mummies come from? They've been here. They've been here. As they're older than we are. Is really, I don't know. I thought it was a cool idea. <laughs> what about the mushroom people? They they they. You know them. They were beginning. Yeah, I have a picture. They were right here. That that was something we left on the cutting room floor. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I actually have a plan for some of these ideas that Neil has that we're going to be seeding some of them into the art. So if folks do go through the art and they see, hey, wait, wait what's that thing in the background? It could be a thing. Oh, it may nice. not be, but it could be a thing. Yeah, and without nice. giving away like too much or like overselling because it's one of those of like this is the the big end arc where we have huge things come together and it would require like a whole big extra rule book and campaign. Because there's there's the obvious question some folks have asked of like, well, where are all the traditional gaming minis in all of this? Like as like do are they real? Do they exist? And the answer is yes, they are. You will eventually be able to use a machine gun on a dragon and shoot a wizard with a tank if we can get to that point. <laughs> but only if you don't paint them. Yes, but only if you don't paint them. <laughs> there, there will be negatives Jesus. associated with paint. That is a, that is a mark of shame. <laughs> By the end of this, it sounds like you found your Rift's replacement, Steve. <laughs> Aha! It sounds oh. like you might have found the system to run your Rift's replacement. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, it, it does in a way sound like the... But you know what? That's kind of always been, you know, Rifts was the, you know, the 15-year-old boys everything game. Mm -hmm. This is essentially the same thing, but not trying to be quite as serious about it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I really dig it. I, I do. Everything I've read, everything, I, you know, having a conversation with you guys today, it's, it's, I dig it. Yay. That's how we know we're doing it right. <laughs> you at least have, have one person. <laughs> I will say, you know, I was a little skeptical initially, not like boo-hoo, but just like, okay. But having seen it, and I like, you know, the play on all the, you know, the different plastic types and kind of the, the terminology nods to kind of them being aware that they're plastic. Oh. And I, I love that sort of weird play off of that, that like, we're aware that we're just plastic army men, mm -hmm. but you know. How yep. was to say the, the the line I remember hearing someone say one time is, well, maybe they call it puppy love, but it's still real to the puppies. Yeah. 
It, was, it reminds me of one of my favorite little tongue-in-cheek jokes I made that either nobody caught or nobody made me cut is if you uh, you get one of the ration packs uh, in it, they have the the little preservative packet that we we all have in our shoes to stop them from getting damp. That's their flavoring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a gel. Oh man, don't eat that, oh, kids. <laughs> for me, bad lessons. Don't play this with your kids. <laughs> One of the fun horror elements of this, if you wanted to go that route too, is like someone looks around and goes, my gun's made out of plastic. I'm made out of plastic. Yes. Am I a gun? My <laughs> bullets are made out of plastic. <laughs> what does this mean? So that brings me to, you sort of touched on it. Do you have a plan for vehicle combat? Because that was when, when I played with army men, that was always what I like. I liked the plastic tanks and the, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the phrase I am most known for, particularly in the World of Darkness games I go to, is vehicular combat is always an option. And while we don't have like big stretches of vehicles in the base book because it was already getting kind of chonky and we didn't want to have to rebalance too much, that is one of the first supplements I'd like to put out is both vehicles, or at least like the vehicles that you'll use as a squad. You know, we'll have, you know, like the big trucks and motorcycles and like light planes, stuff like that. Yes, patrol boats, you know, things of that nature. I'd also like to include some rules for, like, mounts and animal companions to get to, like, little little historical nods for, like, Sergeant Reckless, the horse who just wouldn't stay out of danger, uh, Wiltjik, the, the Polish bear who hauled artillery shells, <laughs> and then fought Nazis. <laughs> right, right. Just just little little extra nonsense. People are going to be like, you know, what are you doing? I'm going to ride a bear into combat with a great sword in one hand and a pistol in the other. Why? Because I want to. That's why. Because <laughs> if you saw that coming at you, your first thought would not be, I'm going to shoot it. It would be that person's lost their mind. I need to get out of here. <laughs> right. Uh, no, because you just made that... Steve's new character. You just... <laughs> I know what okay. I'm gonna run this, and he's gonna be like, "I made a character. It's a guy riding a bear with a machine gun." Yeah, nobody's gonna be shocked. <laughs> One of the last five E characters I made oh, was man. a dwarven ranger with a bear, and the whole image that came from an image that sprung into my mind of a dwarf riding a bear, and you can't tell where the bear ends and the dwarf's beard starts. I support everything about this. Yep. <laughs> and and ironically enough, we somehow, because Gonzo one shot, got access to a wish spell. So what uh -oh. does my ranger use his wish spell for? So that he the bear can talk. Mm -hmm. That's fair. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, then he finds out the bear speaks a language he doesn't, and he has to learn a whole new language to talk to his bear. Just <laughs> right. uh, it's monkey's paw wish. Bear speaks bear. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, it just oh my gosh. I, I, oh, the more and more I hear you talk about this and what I've read, I'm, I'm more and more like, I, I want this and I, I want to go do silly, fun things with this and just have a blast. Yeah. Like this is, it's definitely a game I would take to like a convention or something. And just be like, not if I beat you to it. <laughs> Bull crap. I'll buy more army men than you. I will have more. We will have a bigger table than you. All right. So I have, I have a, a, pitch for a, a, a second line of products you need to make an actual tactical minis game to play with plastic army men all right <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not out of the question the only thing i will say to that is there are several already on the market that's well, i haven't found them yet so <laughs> yes as a 
as as British author Sean Hudson or Huston is fond of saying when people ask, like, so what does it take for you to to create these things? I need money. As soon as I have a check in my hand, the muse descends upon me with alarming speed. <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah. If, that's, if, if and, there are and, folks who want it, I'm there for it. <laughs> and to be fair, and I, I don't mean this to like, I, I don't mean this to curse you, but 22 days and you're at four thousand dollars of your six thousand goal. Granted, you have your stretch goals and everything, but your goal, you're very close to it. So yes, it is is my first Kickstarter. So I'm having that moment of like, am I flying? Am I falling? I don't know what this sensation is. (laughs) No, I I, I would say you're doing pretty good because we've seen a lot of Kickstarters come and go. And a lot of do a lot of them do, you know, they'll either do really well and and go absolutely gangbusters or they just don't fund at all. And you guys look like you're doing really well. So I'm well, I, I will say too, compared to some I've seen, you guys have a very thought out, ready to go product here. It's not yes. like you're kickstarting a concept. Mm. You you have yes, I'm gonna guess it needs, you know, it needs some more fluff, it needs some editing, it needs layout, it needs art, but you've got the product there that's so to speak, playtestable. Mm-hmm. You you've got your product made, you just have to make it look like a finished product now as opposed to be one. Yep. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons it took us a little while to get this to market from Neil coming to me and saying, Hey, this other company folded. I, I told you about this thing. And when you, you, when I told you about this before you got so excited, you almost strangled me by not bringing it to your company to begin with. That's just my version of the story. Um, <laughs> it took us a while to get here, right? Because we wanted to make sure we were at like 99.9%, right? Like, the manuscript is is done it needs editing it needs development a little bit it needs to be laid out but that's not the long part of the process right the worst thing that i've seen so many companies do is say hey we're gonna run a kickstarter for a game and they don't have a game yet they have an idea they maybe have ten thousand words written and i'm like you can't do that you cannot do that you cannot expect people to buy into that and then wait six or seven years for a game it's just to me, not cool. Not something I would ever want to do as a company uh, and not something I think I want to get as a backer. And as a yeah, person yeah. that has over 150 backs on Kickstarter, I want to make something that fits my expectations for a Kickstarter project. I'm really glad to hear that that, that you as a company would not, or well, that, that your company would not want to do that because, yeah, I'm with you there. There's a lot of Kickstarters that have come and go and, and a lot of Kickstarters that have tried that are just... This is my idea for a tabletop RPG. Well, that's great, but you don't have anything on paper. Right. Yeah. You have nothing to show me. You, you're just, this is your idea. Well, that like, look, I've got a, uh, one I'm waiting on that I'm not going to call the company out. They had a playable quick start out at the launch of their Kickstarter. I know this it's one. been a year and a half. And I still don't have a book. Now I also know the, the primary, it's a very, very small house. That is a side project of someone who works elsewhere in the industry. So they're busy. I get it. Yep. And I'm not saying that I'm, I have no illusions that I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm not dreading, oh, I'm not going to get this. But it is nice to hear, you know, like I said, you're, and then I guess that would be a question too. What are you, and of course, obviously, you know, huge caveats about everything because of publishing and supply chain and shipping and everything in the world we currently live in do you have an anticipated fulfillment time frame yeah our hope 
is to get everything by April of 2024. And I will say there is an error on the Kickstarter for all of the delivery dates and I could not go back and fix it. So near the end of the campaign, I'm going to be putting out a couple of posts where I reiterate, this is what our timelines look like. I apologize that I can't fix the, the, the dates that are in the system. I had them right when I hit the button. Kickstarter has admitted that they messed up. They say they can't fix it. It's a, it's frustrating. But anyway, April 2024 is our anticipated book in hand date for people. Where we're at with art, totally doable. It's at this point mostly editing and mostly layout. And that's, I do, I can do a hundred page book in six hours. You know what I mean? It's not the best. I'm not going to do that, but I'm saying like layout is quick once you've got all your assets together and we're going to be there really quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the advantages we had for that is like, like I mentioned, someone else had, had gotten me to do this and it was originally pitched specifically as like a 5e add-on, which is another reason that you know, we went with fifth edition as a system. And like, that was the original thought was like, they could release a full product. I would, since I was at the time, the sole writer, like it didn't require me to go through and, and recreate everything. I just needed to add all the new sections. But you know, when when I brought it to Josh, that was one of the, the questions he I, and, and Quinn had to answer of, do we want to leave this as an add-on? Because as an add-on, it was mostly done. But, you know, then we had that thing of, like, asking ourselves if someone was not already a 5th edition player, because you know, our hope is there would be folks who either don't like that edition or who didn't really want to do anything for it, who would hear the pitch and go, okay, I'll try it. Right. And I, I didn't want them to have to like buy another book on top of our book because that's that's an immediate like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's, it's not like Pathfinder where the rules are open completely free online and you can just you know run it with whatever. And so that was that was another part of it was just getting all of the additional stuff and making sure that we had a complete game you could play with just one book ready to go. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned again before we turned the mics on and whatnot. You were initially almost set to launch this before the uh, wonderful OGL debacle happened. Yes. Which I'm sure sent you into uh, no minor amounts of panic. <laughs> there were existential crises in chat uh, for several weeks <laughs> where I was I don't think like... They're, I don't think they're existential once they become vocalized yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Just, again like thanks to all the persons out there who bullied wizards on our behalf we couldn't have done it without you, <laughs> you. because we You're were welcome. really like do we scrap this whole thing how do we not scrap this whole thing how can we save yes. this yes and... like could we theoretically plug a different system in here that's fundamentally like altered enough that wizards can't come like knocking with their hand out Turned out we didn't need to worry about that, but it How does was this a... fit into orc? <laughs> we, we that was one of the other questions. Yep. <laughs> yeah, orc, black flag, all those. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. yeah. And it's it's one of those of like I don't I don't want to speak on behalf of, of high level games, but yeah, as as designer, if there were hundreds or yeah, thousands of people who were like, I love this game, but I want it in this system, and it wouldn't be like a huge headache to revise it for that. It's not out of the question that we we do conversions or or slot it into other things. It's just kind of this at the time it was conceived was the most popular system. If that stops being the case, maybe we update it for whatever the new popular system is. You know, if if there's a demand for that. I, I could see this fitting well into like a Savage Worlds, even though I don't know the system exceptionally well personally. And we are a Savage Worlds ace, so we could very easily get this out on the market as a Savage World 
product. I love Savage Worlds, right? Like uh, it is shiny, and it would yeah. uh, yeah, is not not to have planning sessions out in the open where everybody can hear us. <laughs> but it is it is another thing that I do and I do enjoy about Savage Worlds that partially influenced kind of how I tried to set stuff up because I I first discovered Savage Worlds when they picked up Deadlands. And then I I grabbed Rippers and I grabbed a lot of their other books and I realized like they had the same fundamental core system, but they would just like put out different genre books or different setting books. And I was I I think that's a really good way of doing stuff so that, you know, if someone likes whatever type of army man game, like they can say, like, I really like this one. I don't want to do, you know, cloak and dagger stuff. And it's like, okay, you don't need the espionage book. That is totally up to you. Yeah. But I really like this thing. You can just play it with that one. That's fine. You'd, I didn't want, ah, oh, there's a, there's a word for, it. I didn't want like power creep to be, to be a big thing that folks worried about with this game. It was a particularly, uh, I played a lot of, cause I, I know Josh has done this as well, played a lot of like vampire and, and world of darkness games where there were those players, like if you didn't have access to all 57 volumes with every single power that had been created, then they knew they, they were going to be at a lower power level than they could be. And on the one hand, I get it. We all like big shiny guns and we want to be able to, to do the fun things, but at the same time. There, there comes a point where that kind of arms race is is detrimental to the game overall. So I want to try and avoid that as much as possible. As a Rifts veteran, I wholly recommend your plan. <laughs> I, I had a friend of mine who you know, he played. Well, his brother played Rifts and made his sheet for him. And it was it was one of those things. Was like okay, like the guy in the mech goes, and the rest of you watch. <laughs> yeah. I, I was the Robotech Palladium person rather than the Rifts Palladium person, but I. He picked up a couple of those and went, wow, this is a game. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, one of the games. <laughs> it, yeah. I got to say, like I said, I'm, I'm, I am very enthused and, and whatever about this because it just feels like good fun. And, and sometimes as much as, as much as I want a nice, dark, gritty, serious role-playing game, a lot of times at the table, it ends up just being good fun. And and that's what keeps me coming back. Do you want to talk at all about your pledge levels? Yeah. Or anything um, else? So we kept things pretty simple for the way this Kickstarter is designed, right? You've got a PDF level. You've got a physical book copy level. Um, there are some fun, bigger levels that I stole from my friends at Onyx Path Publishing. One of them being you can add an NPC to the setting. You can actually pitch us and help work with us to create a adversary, a Vespoid or something like that, um, that we're going to release in a mini supplement after this Kickstarter. It's going to be not tied to this Kickstarter. So any additional writing is not going to slow this book down at all. Um, it's just going to be a thing that we can put out and say, hey, here's a 10, 20 page little monster manual that you can add some extra things. And then there's a hit me to run one of these games for you levels, where if you want me to run a three session army men game for four to five of your friends. Um, I would be super jazzed to do so. Um, one person has picked those up so far. And then we've got a retail level. Like where if you are a retailer and you want to get a bunch of these books, it's a good deal and you can sell them for whatever you'd like to. Our MSRP is about 45 to $50. We think Kickstarter people get it a little bit cheaper, but retailers get it even a little bit more cheaper. If you come to us and say, Hey, we'd like to be on that tier. I already sent it to uh, the owner of one of our local game stores that I'm friends with. I was just going to say, did you send Huzzah. it to the... <laughs> you say, hey, Phil, get this for me. <laughs> no, actually, I actually sent it to Alex, not Phil. Oh, well, same difference. But... 
Yes. Uh, Josh, do we want to talk about the stretch goals? Maybe get people enthused for some of those, too? I'm really excited about the stretch goals because, like, at, at $10,000, we've got OG Army Green Dice planned. Ooh. Where you're going to be able to add on a set, uh, a, a Foldy 20 set of dice that look like they would come right out of an Army Ration Pack, right? Like, they are super cool, and I'm super excited about them. So that's, like, the first one. The second stretch goal is an ammo can. We've sourced a, uh, a 50 ammo cans that your book, dice, and any army men you would like to fit in them will fit into. But we, because of the price of them, we were like, okay, we have to get to a certain amount as a, as a stretch goal before we can offer these. But when we hit that, you'll be able to get an ammo can. I think, depending on how many we sell, we probably will be able to paint them and maybe put our logo on them. We haven't guaranteed that, but at least you can get the ammo can, put your book in it, put your dice in there, and everything really easily. And if you are an Imperial Guard player, you know, that'll that'll just jive right with, with all your stuff, because I'm currently in a uh, a Dark Heresy game, and I'm just like, I, I kind of want to fund that just so I can just show up and, and put that down on the table in front of my, my GMs, just to let him know I am serious. <laughs> now, that actually brings up... When you say that, are you is this book going to be classic eight and a half by eleven size, more of a digest size? It's it's going to be eight and a half by eleven. We we went. I've I have that me me. I have gone back and forth on the size of this book quite significantly. The basic design of it is supposed to resemble an uh, a real army field manual or technical manual, and those are either small like book size or they're eight and a half by eleven. Or there's no in between. Like they're either one or the other. And eight and a half by eleven is cheaper to print. So it boils down to hey, that's a little bit cheaper. That's what we're gonna go for. I did think about the six by nine digest size. The advantage with that being we would be able to fit it in a five point five six millimeter ammo can, but we sourced some bigger ones that an eight and a half by eleven book's gonna fit into pretty easily. So cool. Maybe maybe something to think about in the future release it like uh almost system not systemless but almost systemless and do it in the digest field manual size that would work for the savage world size too if we did that because I, I that was one of the nice things about their books when i when i started picking them up is they is you could get the big full-size hardbacks but they they had the smaller world guides that i was also quite a fan of yeah but <clears throat> not to put not to put any more bugs in your ears because it sounds like you guys have <laughs> Plenty of ide- plenty of ideas rolling around. <laughs> you have the lid of the ammo can removable as a dice tray. Uh-huh. See, most uh, most uh, of these army surplus ammo cans can do that anyway. You just flip Neat. them open and then you can roll. Uh, you can use it as a little dice tray automatically. So I'm with you. I'm already there. Yep. All right. Well, all right. Yes. Is there anything else you two would like to push? Before we move into the next segment of the podcast, anywhere you want to like check us out here or, you know, anything you want to want to, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to pitch that high level games produces lots of different things, including army men. Um, Neil has worked with us on several things, including World of Darkness stuff. The other thing that we recently produced was a couple of adventures called Two Adventures, same art where we had uh, a bunch of art from Dean Spencer. And I said to Neil and another writer, I said, make an adventure, make a D&D adventure with this art, use it as your inspiration, right? So if World of Darkness or D&D stuff is your interest, High Level Games has lots of stuff 
for you to check out. And then I'm going to kick it to Neil because Neil's got awesome stuff that he's creating on a regular basis that people should check out. Thank you. Yes, uh, the, the module uh, Josh was referring to, the one that I wrote, was uh, The Price of Iron for those who like weird fairy nonsense and who like to stick with lower level modules so that you don't have to do nine levels of character building for one adventure. But, um, you can find a lot of my stuff on DriveThruRPG. Uh, I lost track of the number of companies I've worked for at this point, but I'm at about 160 some odd supplements with my name on them. So uh, there's a lot there. You can find uh, my gaming blog is uh, Improved Initiative. I'm well now. Now I'm on the High Level Games channel for uh, for YouTube, but I also uh, appear on the Azakale Games channel where I do uh, audio dramas. Um, I have a show called Speaking of Sundara where I talk about my uh, Sundara Dawn of a New Age uh, fantasy setting for Pathfinder Classic and D and D Five E. And I have another one I uh, started up a little bit ago called Discussions of Darkness, where I just kind of give advice and insight to folks who are trying to run World or Chronicles of Darkness stuff. He also has an amazing Patreon uh, called Literary Mercenary that I recommend people check out um, because being his patron gets you access to all the stuff he's writing in various places. So, Neil, I'm pitching that for you because I, I am a patron and I love it. That is fair. I had actually forgotten about that because everything else I've, I'm with the exception of the supplements, everything else I mentioned is free. And <laughs> no, no, it sounds all sounds really cool and like more stuff that I wish I had more time to spend time checking out. So, all right. Well, I think then, uh, with all that, then I think, uh, is it that time, Steve? It's that time. Let's move into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! So, you can go first, and then we'll leave our two guests in the middle, and then mine's going to be kind of familiar. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I, I briefed our guests on this, and Josh actually remembers it from the last time he was here. Wow. Even Hooli doesn't remember from the last time he was here. Well, you know, that's that's Hooli. And, well, he's an honorary Steve, so he doesn't have to remember things. He's going to get me. By the way, Josh, <laughs> your next your next return, you become an honorary Steve. It's, it's oh, three times. Fantastic. Um, so my game of the week this week is one. It's called The Fallen. Um, it's a little powered by the Apocalypse game. Well, I say little, 160-some pages. History is not as you know it to be. What you've been told has been censored by those trying to keep humanity safe. Well, this seems a convenient way to keep you in the dark. The truth is right within your reach. You just don't know it. And so what it is, is it's, you know, what we all know is folklore, mythology, and legend have some sort of kernel of truth in them from the distant past of Earth. And as the, the, the characters in this game, you, you're supernaturally empowered to eliminate some of these threats. So it's, you know, you're, you're, fighting, you know, chthonic demons, spiritual chaos, all this stuff seems like kind of monster of the week meets call of Cthulhu slash Nightbane to throw in a really obscure reference that most people probably won't get. But yeah, it just looks like a, a kind of a neat, you know, supernatural horror. And, and I think with this kind of theme, I think powered by the apocalypse is probably a really good engine for it. So, uh, yeah, it's called the the Fallen. Uh, PDF will set you back all of ten bucks, or uh, print on demand with the soft cover and the PDF. I think will set you back fourteen. That's on drive through, and I think that's mine this week. Cool. Mine is going to be. I'm going to probably rob it from other awesome people who might want to be thinking about. But Twilight Imperium, Embers of the Imperium, which I am so excited about because I've been waiting for this book for like. I don't know, years. But for those who do not know about Twilight Imperium, um, Twilight Imperium is an amazing board game where effectively, and I will just read from the back of this, um, since the fall of the Lazak Empire, 
The galaxy has been plagued by thousands of years of chaos, war, and isolation. Now, finally, the once great civilizations have restored some semblance of their former glory and have cast covetous eyes on the wider galaxy once more. Each of the major galactic powers has sent representatives to the ancient imperial capital of Mechatol Rex. This book, I've only read about 10, 15 pages of it so far, is absolutely amazing. It is a Genesis system game. So if you listen to any of the D20 radio network, I'm sure you know all about the Genesis system because everybody in the network seems to love it. It is a great space opera game where you can play one of many different species of people, including humans, if you wanted to be weird. And it is just cool. It is the coolest space opera game. And I'm going to be probably running this setting using the Aeon Trinity Continuum system at some point, rather than using Genesis. Genesis is fine, but uh, Trinity Continuum is my jam. So I'm just going to port that system into it. I was going to say, I believe the aforementioned Huli probably has a writing credit in that book as well, amongst some other people we know from around the network. Tiny. I was going to say, speaking of stuff that's at least tangentially connected to Onyx Path, there's a uh, a game I've been diving back into. It is it is a game, uh, the highest compliment I ever received was someone saying, if other STs ran this game the way you talk about it, I would never want to not play it. Uh, but it is Changeling the Lost. It is probably one of my favorite from uh, the New World of Darkness, now the Chronicles of Darkness where uh, without grabbing it out from under my desk, because I've been writing a lot of supplements for it the past year, we all know the stories of, like, you know, the gentlefolk, the good neighbors, you know, the true fae. This, you know, the truth is way worse than anything that could possibly have happened. You know, they found you, they took you, they ripped out your soul, replaced it with magic, and made you something else. And you have escaped back to the real world, but it's not the way you remember, and now you have to try and figure out how to deal with the things that are the same and the things that are not. And uh, for for folks who uh, have enjoyed our, our theme this evening of, like, you can make this as serious or as silly as you want, you know, A Game of Beautiful Madness does indeed have that option of, like, you can all be bright, sparkly fairy people, but you can also play it as Trauma the RPG if you trust the folks that you're at the table with and you want to explore those themes. Very cool. Yeah, we did a, a show not too long ago with a couple of the other guys from the D20 Network about Changeling. Ooh very interesting interesting game setting however you want to describe it a lot of layers to it all right well it sounds like it's my turn then no you don't get a turn oh cool (laughs) well with all that being said anyways um no i have three things i want to shout out the first one's a new thing sort of and then the other two you've heard about before so the first thing that i want to shout out is just drive uh keith capel's new supplement for genesis it is fantastic. I had a great time at G- Gamer Nation Con, got a chance to sit and talk with Keith about it. And it is updated ground vehicle supplement. I don't know how else to put it. It's, it's you know, you want to run Fast and the Furious in Genesis. It This has the stuff to do it. I think it's a really cool, I think it's a really cool addition. And definitely something, if you're in, if you're looking for better ground vehicle specifically ground vehicle because that 3d space stuff gets a little weird gets a little weird anyways um and then the other two things i want to shout out you shouted out last week but i want to put a little bit more emphasis on it former guest on the show owen casey stevens is going through some uh, medical stuff and has two bundles up on drive through rpg 
Uh, both are over $700 worth of value. Both are $35. If you have 70 bucks to throw around, he's it's a good person. It's a good cause and and definitely needs the help. Um, and and I didn't mean to bring this all down, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're a community and and I want to make sure that everybody's aware and and, yeah. you know, being supportive as a community. Yeah. Owen also has a Patreon for those who are curious. Yes, Owen also has a Patreon, which is great. And I think Owen is one of those people too. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say less than great things about Owen no. as a person and as a writer. Yeah. And and that's why it's such a shame that all this has been going on with them. And, you know, if you can, help him out because, you know, it's, it, yeah. Well, like I said last week, you know, I, I would imagine the uh, benefits package for the freelance RPG writer probably is not all that great. No. No. no the, I, yeah. the package is basically hope you live somewhere that has a good state-sponsored med, uh, Medicare plan, which is the only reason I've got health insurance. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's so... And, and you're talking about tons of content for $35. Yeah, yeah, for, a, and, for a variety of games. Yeah, yes. literally. I mean, everything from D&D and Pathfinder to Eclipse, Eclipse phase, phase and lots and, of stuff in between. Yeah. Shadow of the Demon Lord, all sorts of nonsense in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know when I get paid, I'm going to be picking these two up because, I mean, yeah. So we're pulling for you, Owen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, if you can, it's like 35 for each of them. So that's what, $70 total? Yeah, that's fourteen hundred dollars that you're saving by yes. spending seventy bucks. But with all that being said, well, I want to thank both of you for coming on the podcast. Um, Thanks for having us. Yep. Is there anywhere if people would like to reach out to you aside from the Kickstarter? Is there anywhere that you would like to be reached? You know, um, people can find high level games at highlevelgames.ca. There you go. We have a contact thing there, so you can send us an email if you'd like. Awesome. Uh, anyone who wants to reach out to me, there's a contact on my blog, Improved Initiative. Uh, if it's important enough, you want to get to me specifically. If it's about army men in general, you know, probably better off to contact high-level games over that. Okay. Very cool. Well, again, I want to thank you both for coming on. Yes, thank you very much. Yep. I want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at me and Steve RPG at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. for the cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you gotta go down the street to the store and buy that